Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Welcome to This Week in the Word at www.dredhill.podbean.com. Today, we are starting a new message series called Complete in Christ. This is episode one, Comprehending Colossians. This is the episode for Sunday, January 21st, 2024. Do you feel spiritually incomplete? Do you fear spiritual deception? Are you faltering in your faith? Maybe looking for a more meaningful mystical experience? You know, like some of the various versions of Christianity with robes and candles and incense and that kind of thing. Or maybe you're more oriented toward tech, that type of worldview. And maybe you find greater comfort in AI Jesus than you do the Jesus of the New Testament. You know, recently while driving, I saw a church sign from what I consider to be an apostate church, one that has left the faith. And it was advertising yoga and Zumba classes to a lost and hell-bound city. Think about that. Now, I know right now some of you probably use yoga as exercise. Trust me on this 1,090,000%. Do your research and talk to people who know, and they'll tell you that you cannot dissect the exercise in yoga from the spiritual influence. And some very prominent people who come out of that will tell you the truth. So it's not, quote, just exercise. Or for others that might be listening, or you may know people who profess to be Christians, um, they might not be listening, but you know them. Uh, they, they're more inclined to join Masonic Lodges and other similar organizations like that, looking for, you know, something more. Professing Christians seem to feel like they need this or that, you know, fill in the blank, that the world system offers when actually they, we, already are complete in Christ. They seek out things like the Enneagram. Oh, Pastor Ed, what's wrong with that? Can I find out my personality type from that? Probably. But when you do the research, and if you don't know how to do it, there are experts who've already done it for you. If you search it out, you'll find out that apparently the Enneagram has some very occultic origins from almost 100 years ago or more. So you've got to be kidding me. Well, I can't quote chapter and verse on it, but I've, I've heard some teaching about this, and you would be shocked if you knew the origins of the Enneagram. Or maybe your church is more politically uh, uh, activated and alert, and they're all into wokeness, that you can't be a good Christian today unless you are woke. Well, Guess what? (laughs) That concept's not in the New Testament. 
Now, I was the son of a soldier. My father was a career soldier in the United States Army. He was in it for almost 28 years. And I remember the time when he got orders to go to Germany, where he was going to be for three years. And he could take his family with him on that trip. So we went. I remember while we still lived stateside outside uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, that my father got the uh, packet that explained to us how wonderful the place was where we were going to a Schaffenberg, Germany. And I got to admit, the packet we were sent did not do it justice. It was a wonderful place. What a great time we had there while we were there. But I'm going to give you a packet today about the book of Colossians, which is a a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, that's in the New Testament. And you're going to begin learning about that book today. Now, I am deeply indebted to Precept Bible Studies of Austin, Texas, you know, that branch of Precept Studies, for much of what I'm going to share with you here in the next few minutes. And then I have other other sources as well. But Uh, You can actually find this. It's not a secret. And I used to be a precept teacher, so I guess that's okay. (laughs) But if you you Google Precept Austin, it'll come right up, and then you can pick the Bible book you want to know more about. Well, in the notes that are online from Precept Austin, they quote Irving L. Jensen, who used to be a professor at Moody Bible Institute, and he put together uh, so many, I think it was every book in the New Testament for sure, maybe every book in the Bible. He put together an inductive Bible study that just is still used today, long after his death. And he also was great at making charts. So I'm not going to read every single thing on the chart. And you can see it if you Google Precept Austin and go to Colossians. But you'll find, if you look at a, a most charts of the book of Colossians, it's broken down this way. The first chapter, a good bit of the first chapter is mainly personal, and then it shifts a little more to mainly doctrinal uh, from part of chapter 1 into chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, it's mainly practical. And then in chapter 4, it's mainly something that's off my page. <laughs> probably personal again, where the Apostle Paul begins to uh, close out that letter. But in in big, big picture terms, I don't want to get into the details today, but in big picture terms, he talks about in Colossians true doctrine, then he talks about, the Apostle Paul does, about false doctrine, then he talks about Christian living, and he closes out the book of Colossians talking about Christian fellowship in chapter 4. Now, if you want, a lot of you are are note-takers. I already know this. I don't know who started it, but I want to find them. Anyway, if you're big on note-taking, let me give you the five-part outline of the book of Colossians. First, in uh, chapter 1, we see Christ is our inheritance. Did you know that? Also, before chapter 1 closes, we see that Christ is our indweller. Then in chapter 2, we see that Christ is our sufficiency. 
And in chapter 3, Christ is our motivation. And in chapter 4, Christ is our master. Well, that gives you an overall outline of the book of Colossians. The bottom line is Colossians explains to us that Christ is sufficient, more than sufficient, and all that we could ever need. There is nothing else to seek for. Do you follow that line of reasoning and truth? Now, what about some key words that we find in the book of Colossians? And you may want to make a little list of these, and as we go through the book, and as you read through it, you're going to see these words pop up. So uh, the key words, tell they answer questions for us. And the questions are five W's and an H. What does that mean? Five W's, who, what, when, where, why, and the H, how. So if we keep in mind, like a good uh, old-time news reporter who, what, when, where, why, and then how, we'll be able to write a good story, right? That's what news used to be, and it isn't anymore, but that's what it was. And we need to have that same outlook when we read this letter in Colossians. Who, what, when, where, why, and also how. Like if, we, if, if we're told what to do, then how do we do it? Does that make sense? So in terms of uh, looking for these key words that we're going to interrogate with who, what, when, where, why, and how, these are some of the words, uh, or, or these are some of the ideas. The terms may be a term of conclusion, like therefore. You need to ask yourself when you see a therefore, what's that therefore? And it will give you the answer. A term of explanation or terms of purpose or results, such as so that and order that, or uh, terms of contrast, but, yet, or expressions of time, including then, until, and after, and terms of comparison, uh, terms like, like, or the word as, You're going to be amazed at how your teacher, the Holy Spirit, who's the best Bible teacher in the world because he inspired it, (laughs) how he will illuminate your understanding. and, And there's going to be a spiritual blessing that will grow the more you practice five W's and an H. And listen, when you study the Bible, I mean, go after it, my friend. Be diligent. Get after it. Consider the five P's, and that's what, that's what this sentence is now to help you remember the five P's. Pause to ponder the passage, then practice it in the power of the Spirit. One more time, the five P's. Pause to ponder the passage, like what, it, what did it just say? Pause to ponder the passage, then practice it in the power of the Spirit, the five P's. And uh, when you think about inductive Bible study, we're going to observe with a purpose. Like we're going to see what it says so we can understand it. We're going to major on interpretation where we got to remember when we're interpreting the Bible, context is king. That is, we can't take one verse and say, well, this teaches a new thing when there are many other verses in the Bible that teach on the same subject, 
that would help us understand how to properly interpret that one verse. That's huge. And we have to interpret it where it is, in the context where it is. We need to read literally. We need to compare Scripture with Scripture. We need to consult conservative Bible-believing commentary. Now, you don't have to do that, but they can be very helpful. And then be a doer of the word with application. It's not enough, my friends, to, to study the Bible and say, well, I've studied that. I understand it. Great. Now do it in the power of, of the Lord living his life through you. Don't overlook doing the word. If, if you do that, you're only deluding yourself, the Bible says, and you know what? When I understand the Bible better, but I don't do it, or it just makes me a smarter sinner. Amen? But not more like the Savior. Now, Jesus said we are blessed when we hear the Word of God and observe it or do it or apply it or practice it in our life. Now, the key words I said I was going to give you a moment ago, here, here's just some of them. You make it a real quick, Liz. In Him, by Him, for Him. Those are key phrases. The word mystery is in the book, I believe, four times. The word knowledge is in there five times. Wisdom, six times. Fullness, a couple of times. Perfect, two times. Complete, two times. He talks about all. He uses that word 32 times in this letter. The word faith is in here five times in this letter. The word body, like the body of Christ, is in there nine times. Love is five times. Pray or prayer is five times. But those are key words that you want to notice when they come up. And you think about who, what, when, where, why, and how. Now, as you read and study the book of Colossians, I want you to keep Paul's pattern of presentation in mind. Colossians 1 and 2 are doctrinal. That is, they teach us something that Christians are to believe. One and two of, you know, first and second chapter of Colossians are doctrinal and corrective. That is, they teach us something and tell us where we're messing up. But Colossians three and four are practical and reassuring. So they, they, that, the second half of the book really encourage us, you know, don't give up. You, you might not be doing it all right at this point. Don't quit. Keep going. The first two chapters of Colossians present Jesus Christ as our Lord. Chapter 3 presents Christ as our life. And chapter 4 present Christ as our love. The first two chapters present Christ's person and work. And the last two chapters, the his peace and presence. Now, it might be tempting to really rush through the first two chapters of Colossians, so we can hurry up and get to the practical exhortations that, that began to be given in chapter three of Colossians. But that'd be a huge mistake because sound doctrine, that is what we are to believe, what is, you know, what is the truth is, sound doctrine, that's the basis and the framework for sincere practice. If, if I believe wrong, then I'm going to do wrong. You, you simply can't practice the exhortations and commands in the first half of Colossians if you do not have a sure foundation in the first half. Now, 
Think about this. First, orthodoxy, then orthopraxy. <laughs> Let's say that a different way. Orthodoxy, that is straight doctrine, true doctrine. Orthodoxy is right thinking. Orthopraxy, that is straight practice, true practice. Orthopraxy is right living. Orthodoxy is right thinking. Orthopraxy is right living. You see, if I'm thinking right, I've got a great chance of doing right. But if I'm believing the wrong things, then I'm going to be living the wrong way. This is huge. Now, another way to look at Colossians is the book of Ephesians shows us the church as the body of Christ. That's, the, that's a big emphasis in Ephesians. But in Colossians, the big emphasis is that Christ is the head of the church. And this letter in Colossians was written by Paul from prison probably around A.D. 63, somewhere in there. And it was, it was uh, uh, taken by, it was written by Paul in a Roman prison, in a dungeon, if you will, chained to a Roman guard, but it was taken by Tychicus back to the city of Colossae. Now, here are other themes that are in Colossians. They're just a different way to say some of what we've already said. You ready? You, you got to get this now. Wisdom, knowledge, fullness, mystery, and then the idea of that wisdom, knowledge, fullness, and understanding the mystery of Christ, we have our position, and then we have our practice. So think of being on a football team. Your position may be uh, defensive tackle. Well, when the game's going, what should you be playing? Your position, defensive tackle, tackling the ball carrier or the person who catches a pass sometimes or the quarterback who tries to run up the middle. But if your position is defensive tackle and then when the ball is snapped, you run 30 yards back downfield into the secondary where the safeties and cornerbacks are, first of all, you're not cut out for that. Second, you're not playing your position and somebody's running right through what you left wide open. <laughs> that happens a lot in football. So we've got to understand our position in Christ in order to have the proper practice of the Christian life. Now, trying to describe this even more, just hang on, we're not going to do it this way every week, but I want you to get the big picture of Colossians. The core of the Colossian letter is its doctrine of the pleroma, that's a Greek word for fullness, that is the fullness of Christ. If, if you have Christ, you have his fullness, there isn't some other spiritual thing you need or being you need, like the help of an angel. Angels may help you, 
but you have all you need in Christ. He is the pleroma, the fullness of God in bodily form. Now, there are two sides of this. He is divine, but he is also human, fully God, yet fully man. Pastor, I don't understand that. We're not really supposed to. We're supposed to faith that. I don't personally, I don't really understand electricity. I just use it. All right. So it is what it is. And and I accept that. He was fully God. That is by, by, um, by being human, he was not less God. But by being God, he was not less human. It's a mystery. Now, the two great truths which Colossians and we oftentimes are meant to learn are these. Number one, all, listen, all, all the fullness of God is in Christ. Number two, all the fullness of Christ is for us. You don't understand that yet, probably, and I, I don't understand it very well either. But the more we understand those two things, that the, all the fullness of God is in Christ, and then all the fullness of Christ is for us, the better Christians we're going to be. Now, I want you to think about a uh, verse that's in Colossians. And I want you to notice there's three tenses of the believer's union with Jesus Christ in the opening paragraph of, of this verse, uh, excuse me, the, in the third chapter, in the opening paragraph is this verse. If ye then were raised with Christ, your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, let me show you the verb tenses. There's a past tense. If ye then were raised with Christ, were you? Yes, you were if you're a Christian. If you're not, you weren't. But if you're a real Christian, you were raised with Christ. That's in the past. In the present tense, we see that your life is hid with Christ in God. That's going on right now. If, if your life is invested up to the eyeballs in this world system, something's wrong because it's supposed to be fully invested in Christ. Your life is hid with Christ in God. And there's a future tense. When Christ, who is our life, like right now, shall appear, that's in the future, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, while working from these three tenses are two uh, admonitions or commands. Seek those things which are above and set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Man, if, if we could become that heavenly minded, you know, not in that uh, dreamy, uh, mystical sense, you know, where our head's like cotton candy or something, but in a sense of being prayerful and practical, 
and we are, we are experiencing Christ-like godliness in our life, that's what we need to be right now, and we need to do that until we, quote, appear with him in glory. Now, Henrietta C. Mears was a great educator in the church, and I was going to look up the great book she wrote, and it's, it's very good, but I can't remember it. I forgot to do it, and I can't remember it. But if you look up her name, you'll find the book she wrote about the Bible. It's a good book. Henrietta C. Myers talks about in Colossians, in Colossians, the theme of that letter is the church's position in Christ. Number one, we're united in Christ, Colossians 2, verse 2. We're complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. We are dead in Christ, Colossians 2.20. We are buried with Christ. We know that from Romans 6.4. And we are risen with Christ, Colossians 3.1. There's another outline for you. United in Christ, complete in Christ, dead in Christ, buried with Christ, risen with Christ. William Hendrickson, a great Bible scholar, said, the rapid progress of the gospel in the early days has ever been the amazement of people who write history. Justin Martyr, about the middle of the second century, so that meant, let's just say that was 150 AD, Justin Martyr wrote, there is no people, now listen carefully, this is somebody who is there looking at it with his own eyes. There's no people Greek or barbarian, or of any other race, by whatever appellation, that is whatever they're called, or manners, they may be distinguished, however ignorant of arts or agriculture, whether they dwell in tents or wander about in covered wagons, among whom prayers and thanksgivings are not offered in the name of the crucified Jesus to the Father and Creator of all things. Did you hear what Justin Martyr said? The gospel had spread so thoroughly across the Roman Empire that by this point that Justin Martyr said, there's, there's not a group of people anywhere in the empire that, that somebody in it is not a worshiper of Jesus Christ. That is astounding. And he was someone who lived at the time he wrote that. Now, half a century later, so like about the 200 AD, somewhere in there, Tertullian, who's a historian, says this, we are but of yesterday, and yet we already fill your cities, islands, camps, your palace, senate, and forum. We have left you only your temples, He's talking about the pagan temples. <laughs> let, me, let me reread Tertullian's quote again. And it was true. How, how rapidly had the gospel spread so that even the people in this remote, it used to be a great city in the past, but now it was like a, it had become kind of like a backwoods town, Colossae that even they had a church there and they worshiped Jesus? Listen to what Tertullian said. We are but of yesterday. That is, we Christianity just showed up, historically speaking, and yet we already fill your cities, islands, camps. 
Come at army camps, people. Your palace, senate, and forum. That's, that's every part of Rome, even the political and military areas. And then he, they're just to rub it in. He says, we have left you only your temples. You know, they're pagan temples. That's quoted, by the way, by R.H. Glover in The Progress of Worldwide Missions. Uh, or I'm quoting him now, page 39. He states, listen, on the basis of all the data available, it has been estimated that by the close of the apostolic period, that would have been a, around 100 AD, only um, about 60 years, 70 years after the Lord ascended to heaven, and only about uh, 34 years after the Apostle Paul had been martyred, or 32 years. So not and historically speaking, this is not very long at all. Trust me on that. Uh, historians deal with hundreds and thousands of years. This is like yesterday's news. On the basis of all the data available, it has been estimated that by the close of the apostolic period, the total number of Christian disciples had reached half a million. 500,000 Christians filled the Roman Empire. Wow. Now, Warren Wiersbe, who is a great Bible teacher and wrote a great series of books, I, I believe also on the New Testament, they're uh, the B books, like uh, Be Equipped, Be Grounded, or whatever the titles are. But anyway, they're great. Warren Wiersbe said this, The message of Colossi, Colossians is greatly needed today. I hear too many voices telling me that I need something more than Jesus Christ, some exciting experience, some new doctrine, some addition to my Christian experience. But Paul affirms that what I need is appropriation of what I already have in Christ. And ye are complete in him. I also hear voices that want to judge me and rob me of the glorious liberty I have in Christ. How encouraging to hear Paul say, let no man beguile you, let no man spoil you, let no man judge you. The fullness of Christ is all that I need and all man-made regulations and disciplines cannot replace the riches I have in God's Son. Paul was at that time a prisoner in Rome. We know this, by the way, from Acts chapter 21, verse 17 to Acts 28, verse 31. And he met a runaway slave named Onesimus who belonged to Philemon, one of the leaders of the church in Colossae. Paul led Onesimus to Christ. <laughs> he then wrote his letter to Philemon asking his friend to forgive Onesimus and receive him back as a brother in Christ. Uh, instead of killing him, which he was entitled to do. About the same time, Epaphras showed up in Rome because he needed Paul's help. Some new doctrines were being taught in Colossae and were invading the church and creating problems. So Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians in order to refute these heretical teachings and establish the truth of the gospel. Do we have any of this heresy today? Yes, we do, Warren Wiersbe says. 
and it is just as deceptive and dangerous. When we make Jesus Christ and the Christian revelation only part of a total religious system or philosophy, we cease to give him the preeminence. When we strive for spiritual perfection or spiritual fullness by means of formulas, disciplines, or rituals, we go backward instead of forward. Christian believers must beware of mixing their Christian faith with such alluring things as yoga, transcendental meditation, oriental mysticism, and the like. We must also beware of deeper life teachers who offer a system for victory and fullness that bypasses devotion to Jesus Christ. Uh, for example, you know, that you have to pray certain uh, many hours a day, or you must do this or say it this way, whatever. In all things, he, who's that? Jesus. In all things, he must have the preeminence. All right, so let's get to it. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. So what do we see here? Paul says that he was a hand-picked, special representative, like an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't decide to be an apostle. Jesus made him one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. It was God's will that this happened, and Timotheus, our brother. So they're both there at this time in this prison. You know, I don't think Timothy's in prison, but Paul is. Timothy's visiting with him. And, uh, and Paul, uh, this, this is a great thing here. This is great leadership. Paul is an apostle, right? He doesn't have to mention Timothy. Timothy is, is uh, his preacher, preacher boy, so to speak. Paul had raised him up in the ministry. And Timothy was now, by this point, I believe, in charge of the church at Ephesus that Paul had founded. And so Timothy had really grown uh, enormously in his walk with the Lord to be able to pastor the great church at Ephesus. But Paul mentions him. He builds him up. Uh, but he doesn't call him an apostle because he's not, right? He's, but he is a, a brother in the Lord. He says, our brother. So he's, you know, he's Paul's brother in the Lord, but he's their brother too in Colossae. To the saints, what, now what is that? Is that like people who are martyred for their faith? Sometimes, <laughs> but it isn't, it isn't a super holy special person. It's every single Christian, according to the New Testament. I don't know what your religion teaches you, but according to the New Testament, every single Christian is a saint. All that means is we're set apart for God's special purposes to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. So Paul not only mentions all that are there who are Christians, but he also goes out of his way to mention those who are faithful brothers in Christ. So this may be talking about the fact that some of them had gotten off the path, but there were many, many who remained loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ in the church at Colossae. Now, where was this place, Colossae? Well, it was in a tri-city area, not uh, about 100 miles or so from Ephesus. It was a good ways, actually, you know, for that day and age. 
And of the three cities, Hierapolis, Laodicea, that you see mentioned in the book of the Revelation. Uh, so you had Laodicea, Colossae, and Hierapolis. Colossae was the smallest of the three, and it had just gotten where, you know, it, it used to be a major place, and you could study about it, but now it was like, who wants to go there? There's nothing there but a bunch of old-timers. There ain't nothing going on in Colossae. Well, I tell you what, one of the greatest letters of the New Testament was written to the church It was there. So he says, grace be unto you. That's the, that's the unmerited favor of God, yes, but it's also the power of God to work in us. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the world takes pills left and right to find peace, and we've got all the peace we could ever need or use in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And this is a standard way of opening a letter in these Greek and Roman times, grace and peace be unto you. But Paul Christianized them when he, he used them in Scripture. And now they're thought to be, you know, when people hear that, they think of Jesus. Amen? Grace be unto you and peace so that's like the uh, Greek, Roman Greek greeting and a uh, Hebrew greeting, you know, the peace of God, right? Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, I don't know how Paul did it, but he kept them in his heart and mind constantly before the Lord, uh, before God the Father, and praying for them, thanking God for what had happened to them. Do you know, do you realize what had happened to them? Well, we're told what it is in verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said that this was not hyperbole because the gospel has spread into almost every part of the Roman Empire. Did you know that even members of Caesar's household, I'm going to say that again, did you know that even members of the Caesar's household and the Praetorian Guard, that was like the secret service of Rome, had believed in Jesus. Did you know that? I'm not saying they all were, but many were. And this is, this is stated in the scriptures. So it had even reached to this little backwoods outpost that used to be a great city called Colossae. And Notice that Paul says, since we heard of your faith. He couldn't say, I came there, shared Jesus with you, and you believe the gospel, because guess what? Paul had never been to Colossae, apparently. He heard about the fact that they come to faith in Christ. And we think most likely this happened when Epaphras had, been, had heard the gospel in Ephesus when Paul started the church there, and Epaphras probably had taken the gospel back to his hometown of Colossae, and the people who heard it believed the gospel, got saved, and a church was born in Colossae. 
So Paul had not started this church, but they were so strong in Jesus. He had heard about their faith in Jesus Christ and of the love which he had to all the saints. They not only loved one another, they were praying for and trying to do good for other believers in other places. Hey, people, that's a family of God. That's what that is. That only happens, really, in the family of God. Any other organization that tries to do that, they're just copying what God started first in the church, which is is a family. Verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven... That is, people, when we leave this life, whether it's through martyrdom or the rapture or we just get old and die, when we leave this earth, we are going to heaven. We're going to live with the Lord forever for the hope. And that word hope in Greek is not a word like, I sure hope so. That's not the word at all in Greek. The Greek word means a, a certitude. Like, it's a done deal, baby. It's a done deal. You could put all your money on this. I have a hope, and it's a certain hope, which is laid up for me like like money deposited in a bank. We have, as believers of Christ, the hope that's laid up for us in heaven, and it's because we heard the gospel before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The good news of Jesus. I've heard that. Have you heard that? Well, the Colossians heard it and they believed it. I've believed it. Maybe you've believed it. If you haven't, you could today. You could believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to him in faith to be your Savior and Lord. And watch what he does in your life. Verse 6. So he's talking about the gospel in verse 5. Verse 6, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. So when the good news of Jesus hit the ears of the people in Colossae, they got saved. They got saved so bad, it was, there's no going back. Even though, even though Satan was trying to lead their church astray, that he could not take this church down. He might mess some of them up in it, but he wasn't going to stop this church. And notice here, he says, which is come unto you as it is in all the world to bring forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. You know that they're a great example. When they heard the gospel, they didn't say, well, think about it. They didn't do that. When they heard the gospel, They trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, my friend, whether you're in another religion and you're not a Christian and you're not in any religion, you don't even think there's a God. If you're not saved today, that's exactly what you should do. You should, you are on your way to hell if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. I don't care what religion you're in or how many degrees you have or how much money you have. Without Jesus, when you die, boom, it's over, game over, and you're in hell. Or you could confess to the Lord that you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You believe he died for your sins, rose again the third day, he's coming again, and you give your life to him 
and you become born again by his spirit and you'll be doing exactly what the Colossians did. Verse seven, as ye also learned of Epaphras, that's why we say he took the gospel back. Hometown boy becomes hometown hero because they all came to Christ when they heard the good news of Jesus. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. This Epaphras, um, I don't know if I'll know, know him by name. When I, I haven't ever met him, obviously, when I see him in heaven, but maybe an angel or some Christian already knows him will point him out, but I would like to meet him. He's quite an example for all of us, amen? Who, uh, verse eight, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So he not only started the church there, they were growing in the Lord, but he came back to Paul, and even though he had to tell them about a problem that was going on and how should this be addressed, which is what the letter of Colossians is about, he said, Paul, let me tell you, these people love like Jesus, and I'm so concerned for the church, and I don't want to see it go in the wrong direction. And so the Lord inspired Paul to write this letter of Colossians and send it back um, by Tychicus, I believe, who took it back because of the concern that Epaphras had for that church. Now, we're done with this episode. Listen up right now. Don't stop listening. I'm going to give you a phone number. If you're not a Christian yet, you want to become one today, and you're tired of fooling around, you want to get with it with Jesus, call this phone number, and somebody can lead you to faith in Christ. 888-388-2683. One more time. 888-388-2683. Call that number and tell somebody you talk to that you want to become a Christian and be saved today. And if you're not already a Christian, you don't need to become one, but you already are one. You want to grow in the Lord, call that same number. They'll help you get what you need to grow in your faith in Christ. Now, right now, before we leave, I want you to like this episode. Go ahead and do it right where you're listening. Like it. Like the episode. If you've never done it before, follow the podcast, and you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. And then share it. Like it, follow it, and share this episode with someone right now who needs to hear this message. All right, so we have, we have launched out into the deeps in Colossians. I want you to begin to read it. I want you to read chapter, I want you to read the whole book this week. Colossians 1, 2, 3, and 4. But especially major on chapter 1 of Colossians. I'm going to do that, you do that, and we'll be back together if I don't die first and the rapture doesn't have a verse. I'll be back next week with the next episode of This Week in the Word, Complete in Christ, a study of Colossians. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.